My, yeah, my name is, is Johnny or Jonathan, or if you are new and you've, I've not introduced myself to you before, then you can basically call me anything you like, as long as it's relatively polite. Um, and yeah, I'm going to be continuing our series through the book of Exodus this morning. Um, we, it, it's just one of those mornings. I was even thinking of putting it in my notes and saying, like, link back to words that have been brought, because I was just expecting it to all tie together this morning. It's funny the way that God does that through words, contributions, songs that we sing, passages of scripture. Um, yeah, and I just had a big smile on my face when I was at the back, because I was like, oh, the, these prayers that are being said are just spot on with what I've got to bring um, to us this morning. Um, Mel spoke from Matthew chapter 6. Joe had written Matthew chapter 6 in his notes. I've also got Matthew chapter 6, several quotes written in my notes as well. And we didn't get together and just say, hey, let's have a Matthew 6 themed morning. We just said that was a God thing, um, which is great. Um, yeah, we're continuing through our series looking at the book of Exodus this morning. Um, so far, we have seen that the, the Israelites, this group of people um, that God has chosen, the family and the descendants of a guy called Abraham, um, have been slaves in Egypt for, for over 400 years. And then basically so far in the story, and we're approaching kind of the halfway mark of the book itself, um, what has happened is God has brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and so they have now gone through the Red Sea, and um, last week Thomas was taking us through this song of, of, of praise that the Israelites sing to God with the tambourines um, and just worship him for everything that he's done for them. And today um, is a bit of like a shock, really, for the Israelites, because they find themselves out of this wonderful place of worshiping God and straight into a desert. I don't know like, whether you've ever found yourself in places that you'd rather not be in. We were on holiday um, this week in, in Camber Sands in a caravan, and there was one point where we were going into the nearby town of Rye just to go and spend some time looking at the shops, um, get some pastries, and um, I made the mistake. I didn't really know where I was going 100%. I made the mistake of thinking that I knew better than, than Google Maps, which I put on my phone. And so we went to head out of the caravan site, and um, it told me that I should take a right, and I was like, I don't think that's the way we came in. Sorry, Google Maps, I think you've, you've made a mistake here. And I then went left, and I was very quickly like, oh no, this is definitely not the way, came, way we came in. Um, and so it was basically just this long road, kind of next to the, next to the beach. And um, it said, don't stop, but I was a bit like, well, if I do a three-point turn, like, is that stopping? I think technically I'm, I'm still moving. Um, but I then basically did like a seven-point turn because it was quite a narrow road. And then there was no cars that I could see in, like, in front of me or behind me when I started that maneuver. And then by the time I'd finished, there was a guy in a, in a lorry who I think was sarcastically clapping me. I'm not sure. Um, but sometimes we find ourselves in places where we'd not rather be. And um, that is the case with the Israelites this morning. The si six weeks after the exodus has taken place, and they've got this joyful moment of, yeah, God has rescued us from slavery in Egypt. We're not slaves anymore, and he's taking us to the promised land. And then six weeks later, and they're in the desert. And as we're going to see this morning, they, they don't have any food, and they don't have any water, and they get attacked by this group of people called the Amalekites who want to wipe them out and, and kill them all. And so actually, things have gone from looking very positive and very in a place of like praising God, and suddenly they're in a place where actually they're saying, God, do, do you even care about us? What has even happened? Um, and actually, wilderness experiences are quite common throughout the Bible. So people like David spent lots of time in the wilderness. Elijah, Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness before starting his, uh, his ministry. And the Israelites, they don't know it at this point, are going to spend another 40 years in the wilderness before then their descendants then go into the promised land. 
It's just a, a fact of the Bible and the way God does things, that God uses uncomfortable experiences in the wilderness for good in the lives of his people. And actually, wilderness experiences are not just common for the Israelites or for people in the Bible, but they are common for all of us, whether we are, are Christians or not Christians. In one sense, like all of our life now, before we get to heaven, is a bit like a wilderness experience before we reach the promised land of, of being with God for eternity. But actually, in this life, we will all have experiences of being in the wilderness, have experiences of physical, emotional, relational, spiritual wilderness. When we become a Christian, it's not like all of our problems just get sorted out and we never go through intense periods of hardship again. And actually, in fact, the Bible tells us that we shouldn't be surprised when wilderness experiences happen to us, when we have those in our lives. So 1 Peter um, chapter 4, verse 12, Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's basically like wilderness experiences, times of hardship, challenge, difficulty, suffering for the Christian is the normal Christian life. And that is the way it's going to be until we get into heaven and God takes away all sin and, and suffering and pain and there are no more tears or crying or mourning. For us this morning, there will be roughly two groups. And so there'll be people in one group who are in the wilderness this morning. Maybe it's like a relational thing, um, or it could be something to do with health. It could be something just spiritually, just feel really dry this morning. And so you're sitting here this morning, and perhaps God's already been working to you, or perhaps you still feel a little bit of that hardness. Like, I don't feel like, I'm here, and God, you seem to be meeting with everyone else, but you're definitely not meeting with me. You feel very far away. So that's one group, people who are in the wilderness this morning. And then there's the rest of us, and that's people who are going to be in the wilderness before we know it, and we're going to be in the wilderness pretty soon, which is why we've got to pay attention to what God has for the Israelites here. Wilderness situations for us, it could be, it could be our job or lack of it. It could be our marriage or relationship or children or lack of any of those things. It could be our health or the health of family or friends. It could be church feels like a wilderness. It could be mental health, finances, it could be a spiritual wilderness where God just feels far away and we've not got that joy in, in the Bible or in spending time with, with God's family or in prayer or in worship. But the good news for us is that as Exodus is a, a foretelling or a, a preview of what it's like to live as a Christian, we know that there is great encouragement that we can find, great help that we can find in God's Word to help us when we are in the wilderness or to prepare for when we're next going to be in the wilderness and um, Exodus 16 and 17 is where we are this morning, if you want to go there roughly. If I had to summarize my point this morning, is I, I think what God is, would be saying to us from Exodus 16 and 17 would be, would be this. God gives us the wilderness, and he does that to give us himself. God gives us the wilderness to give us himself. And in the passage that we're about to read, there are kind of like three scenes. We're not going to read all of the verses, um, but the words will come up on the board. Um, on the board. God, I sound like I'm at school. I'm a teacher, by the way, for those of you who don't know me. Um, on the screen is what we'll call this. Um, so there's kind of like roughly three scenes. So as you understand the story, and I'd be encouraging you to track along if you've got a Bible or on your phone as we're going through. Scene one, basically the Israelites are, are in the desert. They've got no food, and God provides them with food. Scene two, 
the Israelites have no water and God miraculously provides them with water. And then scene three, the Israelites are attacked by this group called the Amalekites and God miraculously protects them and gives them victory. So let's start at the beginning of Exodus chapter 16, which says, the whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin. That's not, when it says the desert of Sin, that's just a place. It's just a, it's a name. It's not talking about the desert of Sin because they're going to do lots of sin here. It's, maybe we'll call it like Sin or Sin or something, so we're not confused between the two words, uh, which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. And then we'll skip down to verse 11. It says, The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread, and then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? And what is it in Hebrew is the word manna, which is what they're going to call this strange flaky substance. For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. And then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. And then we're going to go uh, to chapter 17. It says, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, where they've been, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. I think history is repeating itself here. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? And then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? And then last scene, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. 
As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. God gives us the wilderness to give us himself. And I basically just want to break down the rest of our time together into kind of two parts, just unpacking some of the themes that we see in these kind of three short stories. Um, I first of all want to just look at the first half of that statement, God gives us the wilderness, like what, what, what do we mean when we say that? Why would God do such a thing? Um, and then I want to secondly look at how God gives us himself in the wilderness. So firstly, God gives us the wilderness. I think it's really clear to the Israelites here that, that they are not the main reason that they are here in the desert, right? They've not got water, they've not got food, and yet they're grumbling against Moses and Aaron. Really, their grumbling is against God, and I think that's because at some level they understand that God is the one who has brought them into the desert. He's the one that they've been following in a, um, in a pillar of fire and a, and a cloud during the day. Um, The first verse that we read says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt. So six weeks have passed, they've left slavery, and they are into um, the, the desert. And the key thing here is it's not an accident. They're not here by chance. They're God could have taken them to some places where there would have been an abundance of water and an abundance of food. He could have provided their needs in a different way, but yet he has deliberately brought the Israelites into a place where he has said, I'm going to bring you to this campsite, if you like, and you know what? There's no food, and I'm going to bring you to another campsite, and there's not going to be any water. Oh, and also we're going to go and we're going to travel a little bit more, and then you're going to get attacked by a whole army, okay? That's, that's God's satnav, his way of doing things. And actually, God does exactly the same things in our lives. We all come to places where we are, we've not got the food, the water, we're under attack, we're suffering, we're in hardship. We're like, God, why would you bring me here? And yeah, I think it's so important for us to get that for whatever situation we are in, whatever place of hardship, we are not there by accident. We are not there because God has just taken off the reins and he said, right, well, you just go figure it out. We can know that God is always present with us and guiding us mysteriously in ways that often perplex us and confuse us, but ways which will be clear when we see him in heaven. I say God gives us the wilderness because actually there are some very painful but good things that God does for us when we're in wilderness places. So first of all, the wilderness exposes us. It exposes some myths that we like to believe about ourselves. It exposes, first of all, our need. So the Israelites say to Moses and Aaron, if only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. They've got a really like, lovely view of what slavery was like, haven't they? They've forgotten this very quickly. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. On the face of it, we're presented with the very clear fact and point that the Israelites are unable to produce food and water for themselves out of thin air. Okay, they are utterly dependent on food and water, as we all are. 
Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer to say, give us today our daily bread. Actually, it would be just as correct for us to pray each morning, give us today our daily breath. Like that is the, the extent to which we are dependent on God. We like to think that we are in control of our lives, in control of ourselves, that we can supply all that we need by thinking positively and looking inside ourselves. But the truth is that when we come into the wilderness, that is just exposed and we realize just how needy we are. We go, God, I'm dependent on you for my very breath. I'm only breathing right now because you're giving that to me. I'm only eating today because you've provided all that I have. And it also exposes our pride. We have this tendency, as I said, to think that we are able to do all things, that actually everything is down to me. My kids, they're going to grow up and they're just going to be lovely law-abiding citizens and I'm going to make that happen. And you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to do a super job at doing my job today and I'm going to make that happen. And actually the wilderness tells us, no, you are not in control of those things. Stop being proud. I don't know how you spent your um, New Year's Eve. We spent it um, watching Peter Rabbit 2 with Takeaway. And just to clarify, Paul was asleep. So this was the two of us. It's a great film. If you've not seen Peter Rabbit or Peter Rabbit 2, right, your afternoon is sorted. Okay, go for it. I was literally laughing out loud. I very rarely do that at films. But there's um, basically in Peter Rabbit 2, there is this cockerel um, who is just an excellent character. And basically, he has, he's under this illusion that the sun rises because he cock-a-doodle-doos in the morning. So there's this bit where all of his kids are around him, and he goes, wake up, kids, wake up. We have a job to do. We have to make the gigantic ball of fire rise into the sky so that the earth gets warm and life as we know it can continue. And so he's under the illusion that basically he's making this happen. So a little bit later in the film, he loses his voice, and then he's croaking, um, and he's trying to get his kids awake. He's like, kids, kids, and he can't get it out. And so he's obviously stressing because he thinks, oh no, the sun is, is not going to come up and everything's going to go wrong. Um, and then the sun obviously rises anyway. And he goes, it was all a hoax to keep me from questioning my very existence. And so he's basically realized that where he was very full of himself and thought, actually, all of this is dependent on me, it's not actually gone that way. Um, the same is true of us. When we're in the wilderness, we think, hey, actually, all of this depends on me. Church, Sunday mornings, chairs, kids work, this is all, it's me. I make this happen. And actually, God says, when we're in the wilderness, no, that's not the case. Hey, me, I'm the one who ultimately provides for my family and cares for my children, and I'm such a good support of my friend. And actually, in the wilderness, God says, that's ultimately me. It exposes our doubts as well. Like the Israelites, basically, if you're going to read through the first five books of the Bible, you're going to see an awful lot of grumbling because that's what the Israelites do. They're an incredibly frustrating and annoying group of people. And I'm like, if I was God, they would have been gone a long time ago, which teaches us a lot about ourselves. Um, But they're six weeks, six weeks, all right? They were slaves in Egypt, and then they're six weeks out, and then God literally parted an ocean, which they walked through, And he literally then closed the ocean and got rid of all of their enemies and rescued them. And then six weeks later, they're like, God, Egypt was great, and you've brought us out into the desert to die. And you just think, how? How has this happened? And yet, the wilderness exposes the very same thing about us as well, doesn't it? How quick are we to be praising God? Thank you for all your provision and for looking after me on this Sunday morning. And yet, we're into the the wilderness of Monday morning. And yet, we realize, we're then saying, God, why don't you care about me? And, oh, God, how could you, how could you let this happen? And we, we stop praying because we think, oh, what, what's the point? Like, what's the point? God's not going to answer my prayers, is he? And we start to doubt what he's like. 
The wilderness exposes us, and because it exposes us, it also humbles us. Actually, Moses tells us that this is the point of God bringing the Israelites into the desert to get hungry and then to be able to provide their needs. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, Moses says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years, this is after the 40 years have passed, to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. So ultimately, one significant purpose, Moses says, of the fact the Israelites are in the desert is to humble them. It's to bring them to a place where they know, actually, this is not all dependent on me, but I am dependent on God, my Father. And that is the gift of the wilderness. It brings us to a place where we say, God, I am unable, however painful that is, and it's very painful because we're people who we love to be obsessed with ourselves. We love to think about ourselves and what I can do and what I'm going to achieve, and yet the wilderness, God takes us to this place where he says, no, that's not the way it happens. Actually, you need to come to me for, for your daily breath, for your daily bread, for all of your emotional, physical, spiritual needs. One um, theologian says, God wants us to be in a place where we know that we need him to do something. Do you know who said that? That was Joe, all right? Joe, two weeks ago at the Vision Focus night. And I wrote that down because I thought it went well with my preach. God wants us to be in a place where we know that we need him to do something. So God gives us the wilderness, and the reason he gives us the wilderness is because he wants to give us himself. What is the thing that we need most? What is the thing that the Israelites needed most in the wilderness? In our anxiety, in persistent low mood, in family troubles, poor health, financial stresses, work strain, what is the thing that we need to turn to? We've all got our defaults, whether it's food or self-love or positive thinking or Netflix or what I tend to do, which is just bury my head in the sand and pretend that everything's okay. But actually, what we need most of all is our God. And actually, that is the greatest gift of the wilderness. God takes us into the wilderness because he wants, us, wants to take us to, to him, to say, look, I am the one who, I love you and I want to meet your needs and I want to provide what I've shown you you are lacking through this wilderness experience. And this is what the Israelites needed. In um, chapter 16, verse 12, it says, At twilight... You will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. He says, I've brought you to this place where you are hungry, and I'm going to feed you, and it's as I feed you, you're going to know that I am Yahweh. I am the Lord your God. Knowing God has been a theme throughout Exodus. Um, Like, so Pharaoh, the whole point of, like, the ten plagues was to say, for people to know that I am God. And actually, God is going to feed and protect and care for these Israelites. And the whole point is that they're going to know him. And actually, for us, that is exactly the same thing that we need to know most of all in the wilderness. Whatever situation that is, whatever, however hard or relatively easy that wilderness situation is, in all of those different places, what we need to know is, is God. We need to have more of him. As we've been singing this morning, there's nothing better than him. And um, I basically just want to pick up on four things that God tells us about himself, which help us in the wilderness. Um, And actually, Gemma, when she was praying earlier, she definitely picked up on three of them and even quoted the Hebrew, which I've written into my notes, which I thought was very impressive. Um, Yeah, so that was one of those that I thought was just God doing something. So know that if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, then in whatever circumstances you are in today or will be in the future, we can know, first of all, that God is our shepherd, Yahweh Roy. Our tendency in the wilderness is to doubt God, as we said. We tend to think, God, you are 
You, you've left me on my own. You've abandoned me. The Israelites did this a lot in 16 verse 6. They said, you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And in 17 verse 3, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? And we do the same. We're so quick to say, God, what's the deal? What are you doing? You are clearly not the loving, all-compassionate, all-kind God that I thought you were. And yet we see so clearly throughout the Bible that this is just not the case. It's a lie that we believe. Actually, in the wilderness, God is leading us because God is our shepherd. So in Psalm 78, a guy called Asaph, in verses 51 and 52, um, is, is writing a, a song about the history of the Israelites. And he says this, he says, God struck down all the firstborn of Egypt, the first fruits of manhood in the tents of Ham, but he brought his people out like a flock. He led them like sheep through the wilderness. Clearly what he is saying is the same thing which, which David says in Psalm 23, which he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. One thing we can know with absolute certainty is that when we go into the wilderness, whatever experience that might be for each of us, we know God is not just going with us, following us, but actually he's leading us there and he's saying, I will protect you and care for you. Shepherds, perhaps we don't think, kind of don't quite get the same power of this image as people would have done when there was loads of sheep around and people knew actual shepherds, although we've got a couple in Grace Church. Um, But shepherds provide needs, they protect, they provide reinsurance. I just wanted to read the first few verses of Psalm 23 and know that these words are absolutely true over us if we are in Jesus. David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Just hear that. If you are feeling like you're in a place, if God, you feel a million miles away from me this morning, God is the one who refreshes our soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Again, for those of us, and we feel that, we feel I'm, I'm in the darkest valley. I cannot see any way out of what is happening. And there's no assurance here necessarily that that valley is going to become light anytime soon. But there is the assurance, I will fear no evil for you are with me, that God is present with us in the darkest valley. In the wilderness, we know that God has not abandoned us. The Lord is our shepherd. And he is also our provider, The Lord will provide, Yahweh, Yireh. God deliberately brings the Israelites to a campsite that is missing two very vital things, food and water. Like, and I think we probably, it's easy to read over and go, right, they don't have food and water. Actually, to think about how remarkably scary that might be. If you've got got children or you're looking after, after friends or people are dependent on you, and you've got no food and you've got no water and they're like, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, and you've got nothing to give them. But actually, God teaches us three things about how he is a provider. He first of all teaches us God is able to provide for all of our needs. It says in verse, chapter 16, verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And then you're going to go and you gather it for enough you need for that day. And then in verse, three, verse 13, sorry, it says, That evening quail came and covered the camp, little birds, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp, When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And they call it manna, which literally means, what is it? 
because it's very strange. It's white like coriander seed. It tastes like wafers of honey. It melts in the sun, smells bad, and fills with maggots if left for a day, except on Saturdays. But it also like fills you up with however much you have of it. So it's quite a crazy little thing. The point that God's making is that He is able to provide for all of our needs. Okay, so the Israelites they have no food, and so God says, right, solution. Bread is going to come, and I'm going to rain it down from heaven on you. And I think heaven. I'm not sure whether that means the sky or whether that means like from God's presence. I think both of those things are true, though. He's like, I'm going to rain miraculous bread down on you. It's going to feed you not just for the next couple of weeks, but for 40 years they're going to eat this stuff, and then the man is going to stop when they go into the promised land. For 40 years, God is day by day going to provide enough food that they need. And then they come to a place, Rephidim, and they don't have any water. And so God says, "Well, I'll provide you water. I'm going to stand. My presence is going to be on this rock." And then Moses, I can't remember the way it hits the rock or speaks to the rock with this way around. But then water is going to miraculously gush out of the rock and feed these pushing two million people. I think God's message to us would be the same. You say, "I am able to provide for your needs, whatever that is." Like God, Ephesians three says that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Talking at the Vision Focus a couple of、um, weeks ago about the amount of money which we need to be able to meet the budget, and it's like God can provide it like that. Obviously, He doesn't just do it like that; He uses means and us to to provide that money. But He's able to do it. We,、um, we had our MOT kind of city example. We had our MOT on our our blue Kia、um, a couple of weeks ago, and basically something was flagged up that there was a leak. Um, in the bottle that holds the the power steering fluid, I've got no idea what they're talking about. But but basically, we were going on holiday, and、um, I phoned a couple of places. Most places that I called just said we're not able to do that, and I called one particular place, and they said we can do it at the end of the month. And I was like, right, that's not particularly helpful at this moment in time. And so I guess partly because there was felt like there was nothing else to do. Apart from trying to make myself like a, a mechanic, which would be bad,、um, I just prayed and I said, "God, would you please let there be enough power steering fluid to get us all the way back or through the holiday and back?" And I was very nervous about this. I realise some of you actually know how cars work, and so you're like, "You don't need to worry about that." But I was worried because I didn't really know what it meant. And you know what? I opened the bonnet, and there was enough power steering fluid. And then by the end of the week, it, there was enough as well, and it's got us all the way home and to church. And hopefully, it will keep us going to the end of the month when we take it to the garage. I say that. Because really, when I'm praying that, my thought is, well, God, that's easy for you to do. God, you could, you could literally, you could miraculously fix the power steering fluid container if you wanted to. So actually, for me to ask you, would you keep the car going in this way? Sure, God, we might have broken down halfway there, but actually, say, God, you're able to do that. And the thing that we need to know before I move on to the next point is that that God's able to do that. There is nothing which is too hard for Him. Nothing which we shouldn't ask Him for. Nothing which we shouldn't say, God, actually, I don't think you're capable of doing this. Okay, because actually he's able to rain bread down from heaven. He can make water gush out of rocks. He can do everything that he wants to. And so this leads us to a place where we should say that we should trust God for all of our needs. Deuteronomy eight verse three says, "He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God." We've just been hearing about our, our trust in Jesus for our needs. The, This morning, I'll just read a couple of verses,、um, a couple of verses that from the Bible. I'll read from Matthew six, which we've already had. Jesus says, "And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him." 
And his point is, listen, when you come to pray, you just pray with simplicity. Just let your mouth open and speak to God because God knows what you need and he's your father and he loves you. Of course he wants to provide for your needs and give you what you need. Um, Matthew 7, verse 11 um, yeah, 9 to 11, says, Which of you, if your son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven good, gift, good gifts to those who ask him? Like God's heart disposition towards us, his children, is to give us what he's, he needs, what we need. Okay, he's not, we're not going to him t- twisting his arm, saying, oh God, please would you come through and provide what I need. God, that is a, a prayer that God loves to hear and he loves to answer in his wisdom as well. It doesn't mean we always get what we pray for because he knows what we need and what is good for us. It also says that we should trust God daily for our needs as well. What verse did I have up? No, I didn't have a verse in that one. That's fine. Um, in chapter 16, verse 4, it says, The Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. The key thing with, with manna is that it, it has a very short expiry day. It lasts for a day, and then the next day, if you've collected it, it's full of maggots and it smells, and if it's out in the sun, it melts. Now, God could have done it, curiously, a very different way. He could have said, right, at the big, every Monday, you're going to go out and you're going to collect enough manna for the week. Or he could have even said for a month, like once a month, there'd be a ship, big shipment of manna comes in. Collect all you need for a month, or he could have done it for a year. He does it every day. Now, why would God do that? Why would he provide manna every day and teach the Israelites every single day you've got to go out and you've got to get the food? I think it's because he's teaching us about how often it is that we need to trust God for our needs. And I think the answer to that would be every single day. He's not like, hey, will you pray on a Sunday? and then you're sorted for the week, just come back and then get another boost for the, sun, the next week. He says, actually, I want the Israelites to realize what, how dependent are they on me. It's every single day they need to go out and get the food and collect it in. Okay? Um, it, the same would be true for us. You know, Jesus, I, don't think, I think he's potentially got this in mind where he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own, Matthew 6. I think the point, again, he's making is God's going to give you what you need for today. Tomorrow? No, that's tomorrow. And God's going to give you what you need for tomorrow when that time comes. Lamentations 3 says, um, his compassions, God's compassions never fail. They are new every morning. I think there's something we need to get about making it a regular rhythm into our lives to do something very practical. And I think that's that every morning or at some point every day, because I think that's what the Bible is pointing us to, every day we need to get before God And we need to say, God, first of all, I I acknowledge my need before you. I'm dependent on you for my safety today. I'm dependent on you as I drive to or from work. I'm dependent on you to not lose it with my kids. I'm dependent for you for favor in my job. I'm dependent for, for food and water. We then need to thank him for his grace and say, God, thank you that you are, you are so willing to give me what I need today because you are my loving, kind father and you're not just angry at me, but you, you warmly accept me into your presence today. And then we need to ask for his help and his provision. And that is incredibly liberating for us. Because actually, as we start to go day by day, God, would you provide my needs this morning, today? What I need today, what my children need today, what my friends and family need today. Then actually, all of that anxiety about tomorrow, Jesus says, just lifts off. Hey, you don't, don't need to worry. You don't need to know, worry, Israelites, about what you're going to eat tomorrow. 
because God's given you manna today, and that's what matters. And so my encouragement would be to you this week, and I'm making a very mental note of this myself as well, to spend time in, before you check your phone, before you get up and wash, just as you wake up to say, God, would you please provide all that I need today? Thank you for being with me. Cast all your anxieties onto him because he cares for us. Um, God is our banner. Yahweh Nisi, another one that Gemma said. The Amalekites come and, and attack the Israelites. Um, and basically, Moses holds up his hands in this kind of slightly curious way. Um, and basically, while his hands are lifted up, the, the Israelites win the battle. And so they, they, his friends hold up his hands for him. And he, basically, the point that God is trying to make to the Israelites is it's not Moses' hands that have saved you. It's God. God's the one who's won this battle for you. He's the one who's given you victory. Um, and... Then Moses, after this event, he then says, he builds this altar and says, the Lord is my banner. And a banner was basically had like two purposes in a battle. One was it's kind of like an insignia that would show the strength of an army. I think it's a little bit like if you were having a scrap with someone in, on, a, on a pavement, um, as we do, then you, and someone comes at you with a shield, which would also be quite crazy, then if that shield is Captain America's shield, you know you're in trouble right? Because you see the shield and you're like, that's a powerful person that's coming to me. And the banner's the same idea. You look at it and you go, oh, right, this is, this is the Israelites. We're really talking about someone powerful here. It was also a rallying point. So it's the place that you go to in order to find safety, to regroup. And I think the two things that God would teach us about him being our banner in our battles is that he's both of those things. He's our strength in the battle and he's the refuge, the place that we run to in the battle. We were singing just to pick up... Um, and when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. And actually, that is our, our, our heart when we go through battles, when we're facing difficulties and troubles. It's just to say, God, the way that I fight this battle is I give it over to you and I say, please, will you fight for me? And that is our encouragement when we face battles in life. God is our shepherd, our provider, our banner. And finally, to wrap up, he is our saviour. So many just allusions to the gospel in this passage. Uh, we could talk about Jesus being the, the living water, the one who fights for us, but I'll just pick up on one. Jesus, in John chapter 6, is having a, a discussion um, with some Jews, and they say, well, they basically start talking about the manna in the desert. And Jesus makes the point, and he says, listen, your, your ancestors, they ate manna in the desert, and they got hungry again, and they died. But he says, the true bread that you eat will never let you go hungry. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. See, Jesus is the one, he's the true manna. He's the one that we need every single day. Perhaps, um, Simo and Linda, you could just come up and start playing for us before we take communion. Jesus is the gracious bread of life. He gives himself to us, not because of anything that we've done, but because of who he is, because of his grace. We're like the Israelites. We're so prone to, to accuse God and grumble at God and complain against God, and yet actually God, in his grace, gives us Jesus anyway. Know that you know, if you are in a place in the wilderness, but you are really not managing it well, so you just say, oh God, I, I don't want anything to do with you. And then God is as ready to welcome you back into his arms this morning as he's ever been. 
Jesus is the perfect bread of life. He's the one who not just feeds us for a day, but will keep us feeding us into eternity and beyond. He's the one who satisfies us. He's the one who doesn't just satisfy our physical needs, but our spiritual hunger as well, our spiritual thirst. He's the one that we can look to and say, Jesus, there is nothing better than you. I can be so content in my wilderness situation because I know that you are going to be present with me and I can feed every day on you. A guy called John Bunyan, who wrote a book called The Pilgrim's Progress, one of the most famous books in the world. He was in prison for 12 years, only really able to see his family in fleeting because of preaching the gospel. But he knew the bread of life. He knew, I can spend this time in prison. I can go to prison willingly because I know that Jesus is my true bread who will sustain me and keep me satisfied. Perhaps if we could just um, stand. I'm just going to pray for us and then we're going to take communion. What I'd encourage you to do, um, if if you are a Christian, if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus, then you take communion with us. And what I'd encourage us to do is perhaps just take it with one or two people around you. Um, And that could be as simple as you just saying a prayer, just saying thank you God for for your body and your blood which you shed for us on the cross. Thank you that you've removed our greatest need, which is you've solved our greatest need, which is peace with you. But it might also just be that you want to say, God, I I really need you to come through with me. And so it might be that you then have a place of vulnerability and humility and say to someone, actually, would you be able to pray for this situation? You don't even have to say what it is. It doesn't have to be like a moment of crisis, but just to say, God, will you please help me? So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll go, we'll get the bread and wine, bring it back, and then we just take it in small groups or just in pairs, Just pray, thank God that he gives us the true bread in Jesus. Um, And then pray for any needs that we've got. And then we're going to come and we're going to sing and then finish together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us your son, Jesus. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? We know that we have absolute confidence that in the wilderness you are our, our shepherd, our provider, our banner, our saviour. And we know that because you've given Jesus. You've done the most amazing thing for us that you could do. And so we can trust you with everything else. We're sorry for all the times where we grumble and we complain against you. And we just pray that as we come and take communion, as we worship, you just give us fellowship with you. We want to know you better. You just pour your Holy Spirit out on us as we start to, to eat and drink together and sing together. I just pray for individuals here who are like yeah I'm firmly in the wilderness perhaps there's still some of that hardness of heart towards God like God I just don't believe that you are who you say you are just asking Holy Spirit that you come and you fill us and help us to meet with you in your name Amen